0: Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Ski Instructor podcast. My name is Dave Burrows, Uh, I'm the director and owner of Snowpro Ski School based here in the Port de Soleil in Switzerland. Um, It's been a really, really funny season. Um, I know that we haven't released uh, an episode of the podcast uh, since about mid-January, but since then, I'd say it probably hasn't even snowed at all except for uh, about two days ago. Um, when we went out and had a, a super powder day, but it's really been a very very strange, strange season here in Europe. It's been a massive spell of high pressure that's just sort of sat here over over um, over the Alps for, for pretty much the whole of January, which is great. Clients love that kind of thing, but it doesn't you know it makes for quite icy peaks and uh, and difficult skiing for for the tourists. But uh, the sunshine is the important thing, so uh, sunglasses on. In January and uh, and then come February a whole bunch of difficult conditions So, a lot of rain a lot of wind high winds all the way uh, across the Alps and that's made um, it's made February quite different so uh, um, yeah interesting for now but uh, this latest batch of snow has has, um, has, has probably topped up the piece sufficiently so that uh, so that we're good all the way through now towards the end of the season my guest this week is uh, Dr. Jim Taylor. Uh, Dr. Jim Taylor is um, a renowned sort of skiing uh, um, psychologist, um, and I wanted to talk to Jim and, and and share this sort of conversation that I'd had with you. I've spoken to Jim a couple of times before. One when I was trying to set up something that that he could do with our clients, which didn't quite come off. But um, and and then um, I've also read quite extensively a lot of uh, a lot of the things. Um, that he puts out there in terms of marketing materials and also um, some of the things that I'm subscribed to. So so I'm really bought into this idea of psychology within within snow sports. And I wanted to have a sort of chat with Jim and and, and find out a little bit more about what he does and, and how he does it. Um, the interview, we didn't really have a great deal of time and we had some technical issues because I was recording it in the middle of a massive snowstorm. Um, and what happens is around here is that I guess the... The, the mobile phone antenna gets gets covered in snow and, and makes some weird, weird connections. So um, long story short, you might hear a bit of an echo on on some of the questions when I'm talking to Jim um, and a couple of his answers dropped out. But I've tried to edit out those uh, those gaps and those pauses. And uh, we went on to have a really, really lovely conversation. So we talked about his skiing background. Um, we talked about psychology and skiing from both a sort of recreational and racing perspective. We talked about the um, psychology for ski instructors themselves and how things that they can apply during their teaching and there's some really cool stuff there that, that you can all sort of take away with you and then um, we sort of went off into uh, into something that I was doing to do with visualization and, and my own sort of personal journey towards um, some some exams I really wanted so um, I didn't quite get to all of the um, the topics that I wanted to with Jim but, uh, but hopefully we can have him back at another point in the future, because I think there's probably a lot more that we can explore. Um, so this episode is not the longest one. There's no gap in the middle. I'm just presenting it as is, um, as, I had, uh, as I had the conversation with him. So this one will go straight through without me visiting you in the middle. Um, looking forward to, uh, I'm trying to line up at the moment some, some, some more podcasts. Um, everyone's obviously busy because it's the middle of the ski season. Um, so we'll probably uh, you'll probably notice the increase in that once the ski season sort of winds down to an end. But uh, but yeah, until now, enjoy this episode. Uh, enjoy the rest of the season. I hope you've got snow where you are, and uh, enjoy the interview. Uh, hello, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jim Taylor. How are you?
1: Great to, have, uh, great to be here.
0: Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much. And where are you joining us from today? Where, whereabouts in the U.S. are you?
1: Uh, I'm from Donner Summit, which is in the Sierra Nevada Mountains, about um, three hours from San Francisco, quite near Squaw Valley, the former um, host of the Olympics, for some perspective there, where we haven't had snow in about a month. So it's quite lean, but it's beautiful weather and it's great training for the kids.
0: Oh well, that's that's really good. I mean, we're we're experiencing a similar winter over here actually because um, we've got well, we're we're just about in the middle of a snowstorm right now. But we've had you know this is this is one of the leanest winters that I can remember for a long time. Um, so we're really uh, we're really struggling um, a little bit with snow, but uh, it looks like we're going to get quite a decent amount overnight. So it's going to be really good. Very good. Mm. Um, so we've spoken before and Mm -hmm. I think probably it's best for you if you just give me you know one of my speech bubbles here is is kind of uh, your skiing background Um, sure yeah so yeah maybe you give us a give us a a, that and and then maybe how you got into the sort of psychological aspect of uh, of what it is that you do um, for a living now
1: absolutely so um, I grew up skiing I started skiing at two years old in Vermont and I uh, started um, racing at six, got serious at age nine, and uh, then at 13, I went to Berkman Academy, which is the first full-time ski academy in the U.S., where I raced competitively there. Um, during that journey, I... Um, I uh, reached a top 20 national slalom ranking, had some world ranking that was not particularly admirable in particular. Um, my, uh, the way I put it is I was world ranked but not world class, um, <laughs> meaning the best. I, I competed against the best ski racers in the world, but they weren't worried about me. Okay. So, um, um, but certainly ski racing was a huge part of my life. I skied um, collegiately as well. Um, and then when um, one of my challenges as a young ski racer was I was what was called a mind job or a head case, meaning my, I, I had some ability, but my mind always got in the way of my ski racing. Mm-hmm. And It's a cliche that people become psychologists to figure themselves out, Dave. And so um, I took a summer course related to sports psychology and a lot of the work that I do now with athletes. Mm-hmm. and um, I applied it to my ski racing and it he, massive turnaround. I went from having no confidence, falling a lot, to getting in the gate believing I was going to win. Top five of every solemn I was in, except the U.S. Nationals, unfortunately, that year. Um, And so I had this very powerful experience of the power of the mind in ski racing. And then when I got to college, I took a psychology course, and it's not like I chose sports psychology, it chose me. I didn't really have a choice in the matter. I just fell in love with it, and I knew that it was the path I wanted to follow. So I went to the University of Colorado um, in Boulder, where I actually also continued ski racing and received my Ph.D. in psychology. And for the last far too many decades that I want to admit, um, I've been focusing my attention on the psychology sport, um, most specifically on ski racing, because that's my passion and that's the sport I know well. Mm -hmm. And um, it gives me the opportunity to to work with young young racers um, from junior elite up to World Cuppers and work and... Yeah. and so uh, as well as you, um, uh, as well as a PSIA and ski instructors, in as well.
0: Okay, all right, and and are those those clients? Are they are they are they finding you? Are they coming to you? Because I know that you've got quite an extensive sort of way of of marketing yourself. I mean, uh, that, that's initially kind of how I found you, but uh, but but yeah, you know, or, or are you working within certain certain programs? As, as part of that, because I know that's what you were doing with the U.S. ski team. Is, is, is that right?
1: Right, right. Well, I, I do have a fairly extensive reputation in, um, in the sport. Um, I write for skieracing.com regularly. I've been doing that for many, many years. And um, without sounding too full of myself, I'm sort of the go-to guy because there's really nobody else. Um, there are other people who dabble <laughs> in psychology <laughs> ski racing. Yeah. But, um, but it's, it's something I live and breathe. And have an immense passion for. So um, people seem to find me because they, I sort of have, I have a, a presence in the, uh, in terms of reputation in the sport, as well as um, a strong presence on the internet.
0: Okay, all right, and and so you say that the, you know, the psychological aspect found you. I wonder. I mean, I wonder how many skiers get into skiing for the, for the same reasons. You know, they get into ski instruction because they want to know maybe more about what what is um what they're all about or what this or what the, the sort of the, the fundamentals of skiing is all about you know there, there certainly seems sure. to be a lot of people taking entry level ski instructor qualifications because of that they're not necessarily interested in making a living on uh, as being a ski instructor but they're definitely interested in learning more about it would that would that be the same for the, the psychological side of it you think?
1: <laughs> well, certainly, and I'm a big believer that a great ski instructor is a great intuitive psychologist. Hmm. They don't necessarily have the fancy degrees, but so much of what they do out on the snow with their clients is psychological. Because, yes, of course, they want to teach stance, body position, hand position, <laughs> good turns, and so on. But, but so much of being on snow is deeply psychological, hmm. and whether it's having to do with confidence or uh, anxiety or focus, and so so much of what ski instructors do is psychological and so it's I'm sure it's a huge attraction for people who are interested in in the field of, of ski instruction
0: yeah yeah that and that that that's interesting that, that sort of emotional empathy that that ability to put yourself in the clients shoes you know you're, you're right you do feel like you're doing sort of amateur psychology a lot of the time I don't know whether you know the things that I am doing yeah especially in terms of if you've got nervous clients and that kind of thing you know that that is you're doing a lot of what I, would, what I would call psychological kind of work with that person more so than you would technical work. I'd say.
1: Well, inevitably both, because certainly when you've got skiers, who, perhaps who are novices, and ski skiing is a pretty scary sport, and there's a lot of variability. There's snow conditions. There's weather. There's terrain, and there's. Oh, oh Jesus.
0: That's all right. I just put a pause
1: on it. I apologize for that. No, it's okay. It's um, all right. It's all right. No, it's okay. uh, and, um, and so, yes, people want to become better skiers technically, but the path through that is the mind. Mm. And so uh, really good instructors will know how to work with people in terms of their ability to believe in themselves, like, yeah. Um, so if somebody has a, a run they want to ski a bump run, for example, and they might be perfectly capable technically of doing it. Mm. But if, if you don't, if, if they don't believe in their ability, they're not going to use that ability. So a big part of what ski instructors do is instill in them the confidence that they can do it. And so in a way, they they lend their confidence to their clients, and they also they give them tools to focus on um, and to use as they're skiing down, and they help them overcome fear. Doubt, worry that could interfere with your ability to successfully navigate um, the bump run.
0: Mm, mm. It, it, it's amazing to me how often the mind gets in the way of of otherwise technically very good skiers. Um, I've got I, I've got a client I was working with with yesterday, and and it was a very very similar thing. But he would, you know, in the end we had to boil it down just to one. Tiny little thing to think about because otherwise if you let too much of the the kind of the other thoughts that he would carry around with him On the mountain it It, it really got in the way of what he was trying to do. You know his head gets too jumbled um, it, And that's that I think that that sort of simplification is quite a quite an important thing sometimes for, for, for our clients
1: Oh, Without a doubt and because when when people are skiing there can be so many things on their mind and I mentioned snow conditions, weather, terrain, but there's also all the psychology stuff, plus there's the technical stuff. And so the ability for, uh, for an instructor to clear out the clutter and get them to just focus on one simple thing that will make the difference. Mm. And it might be pole plant, it might be stance, whatever it is. If they can just focus on that one thing that enables them to ski the way they want in this particular situation, then they're more likely to ski well and if they then they get to the bottom and they have a great experience not only does it really identify what they need to focus on but also builds their confidence mm. because invariably when somebody's skiing a new a new level of challenge they don't believe they can do it because they don't have any experience mm. and so getting the instructor to sort of again lend them their confidence in the skier and just get them to do it not necessarily fully committed not necessarily fully confident but just get them to do it because rarely is the challenge in front of them as significant as they think it is?
0: No. Yeah, it's if the way? Ski,
1: if the ski yeah. instructor can give them the technical and mental tools to get down, then they get to the bottom and go, oh, my gosh, that actually wasn't scary at all. That was super cool and yeah. really a great challenge. So the next time they go up, it's a lot easier, and they can focus more on skiing it even better, and that's how they progress.
0: Yeah. It's often the the, the, the courage, isn't it, to walk through that door or to walk over that threshold is is the hardest bit, and actually the, the the you know what's on the other side is not actually you know that that big a deal. You're right. How how does that how does that go on to manifest itself at a much higher level? So you you talked about working with kind of much higher level World Cup you know World Cup athletes and that that, that kind of thing. If if you're technically sure. very very good, you know perfect almost. Uh, then what what kind of things are those guys worrying about
1: uh, yeah well what's fascinating about world cuppers is that obviously they're all f- pheno- phenomenal athletes mm. otherwise they wouldn't be at that level mm-hmm. they're all incredibly technically skilled as you suggest they're all in great physical condition they're all, they're, they're all their their equipment is incredibly well prepared yeah so on any given day what separates winner podium top 10 top 50 mm. And it's, it's really the mind. Yeah. And, and in, a, in a way, the mind is the final piece of the puzzle at, at that level. But what's interesting is that it's also the most neglected. Yes. Because yeah. you know, th- the fact is, to get to that level, you have to be pretty good mentally. Mm-hmm. But, but, an- but another fact is is that many racers who might be capable of being in the top 10 aren't able to do it, achieve that level because of their mind. And I can think of uh, several World cuppers that I've worked with. Uh, one who's on the circuit now, and he's a consistent top 10, top 15 guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he had been 70th in the world a couple of years ago. And, and if you think about it, the 70th best ski racer in the world is an incredibly good ski racer. <laughs> it sure is, yeah. But he, but he was still, you know, two, three seconds off Marcel or Henrik or, or some of the other t- really top guys. Mm. And, and, it, and it really boiled down to his mind and how he approached things mentally. So, so a lot of the work we were doing involved imagery, um, routines, uh, building confidence, how to focus effectively, how to get the that ideal intensity and focus that enables him to ski consistently fast from start to finish. Mm. And 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 I, I'm not certainly taking total credit because he got stronger and he got better technically and so on but but he felt in this particular case that that the mind was the one piece that he that was missing and that wasn't a part that that he finally had the piece of the puzzle that now is enabling enabling him to be consistently at the highest level
0: yeah yeah it's it's <clears throat> it's amazing you are absolutely right you know how do you how do you you could throw a rug over especially in the top 30 in the world cup slalom at the moment you know there's there's, I don't know what they're saying, is something like one and a half seconds between all of them. The field is so strong. that, and a, and a lot of these guys are looking for these tiny little marginal gains that are going to get them to, you know, get them to, to, to the next level. And I wonder how many of them are neglecting something as as, uh, as important as, as their psychology and their mindset going into the race day.
1: Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, I can speak certainly in the U.S., the mental side of ski racing is, is largely neglected at the development level. Mm-hmm. Um, be, you know Very few, I don't think any program has a full-time mental coach or sports psychologist involved and uh, unfortunately, um, sports psychology and mental training have sort of gotten a bad rap and it's usually seen separate from technical and tactical and, and physical and so on is over here on the right side and the mental side is on the, on sort of on the left side where we don't really address it unless there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And 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 my approach is that that you should you should approach the mental side the same way you do the physical and technical side. You don't wait to get injured before you do conditioning. Yeah. You don't wait to develop technical technical flaws before you go see a coach or an instructor. Yeah. You 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 get you get on a conditioning program. You get on a on a um, on snow training program to prevent those things from occurring. And so that's really the way I look at mental training. Is it's just training. And you have to approach it the same way as the physical and on snow training. Um, it's still an uphill battle because people still have their biases. But what's interesting is that everybody will say the mental side is so important. Mm. But then I'll ask, well, how many of you are doing much about it? And you, you don't see a lot of hands going up. Um, so it is it is the final piece of the puzzle. It's sort of the final frontier of athlete development because these days the training of athletes are, is so sophisticated. Mm. Um, in terms of physical preparation, nutrition, recovery, movement, that, like you suggest, the top athletes—they're all—they've all got it all, mm. and yet it's that—it's that last piece of the puzzle of mind that ultimately separates those who can ski their best and not just ski their best, but in that moment of the biggest race of their lives.
0: Now, do you do and, you think yeah. that that is is going to change? and the reason i say that is because oh. there is an incredible focus every every newspaper everything i read these days there's there's a big awareness of, of mental health right and and i wonder if that that will translate with the younger generation or the next generation coming through that this is something that that is that that, that is to be is to be welcomed rather than maybe how it was in the old days where where people might have looked at this from from a different perspective You know, from a, from a, 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 you know, oh, that's something for, I don't know, you know, something we don't really need to worry about.
1: Right, right. Well, I've been saying that it's going to catch on and become fully integrated into our athlete development in our sport um, for decades, and it hasn't. (laughs) Okay. And so, you know, I'm still hopeful, and I'm certainly evangelizing constantly about the importance of it. Yeah. But whether it's, whether it's old sort of old, old school sort of attitudes about the mental side of ski racing or the fact that there's only so many resources and so much time that coaches can devote to that to it um it's 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 i'm still optimistic but um it's certainly not appreciated and there's not as much of an of a um, investment in resources necessary to really bring it to the same level and it's the same level of respect if you will and the same level of, of application as conditioning and on snow and nutrition and equipment and other significant contributors to uh to ski racing success
0: do you think it could be do to do with the coaches often you see the the coaches when they flick to them you know on the world cup coverage a lot of these guys are kind of quite old old looking i don't know i mean i imagine they've got everything else covered but is it, is it because of an older mindset amongst the coaches or do you think it could be – or do you think, you know, as, as the coaches kind of move move younger, maybe uh, maybe that will that will be something that changes?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I've often thought, although I, I know many, <coughs> quote-unquote, older coaches, highly experienced coaches who are very psycholo- psychologically minded. Mm. Um, but I, I think there is still a culture in coaching – and this is not just in ski racing but in many sports – of you just need to work hard and train hard, and you'll be fine. And mm. you'll find success. and and for for many cases, I mean, being realistic, most of the best athletes in every sport in the world haven't used a sports psychologist. Mm. At the same time, many have many have these days, certainly tennis and golf in particular, um, pretty much everybody is a sports psychologist um, involved. right uh, And you know sport is the most psychological sports. Um, so I think partially it is just a culture. Um, and cultures tend to be um, inertial, meaning they, they are slow to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think another big challenge is that coaches, at least in the U.S., um, there's no formal education process for coaching. So you don't go to college and get a degree in coaching. Mm-hmm. So most coaches in the U.S. anyway, and I think it's a little different in Europe, um, but most coaches in, in, your, in the U.S., were um, probably ski racers themselves yep. and wanted to wanted to you know be a coach. So they get a job at some ski club or ski, um, ski team and they, they receive no sort of formal training. It's like an apprenticeship, I suppose. yeah. And so they, they don't receive any formal training about uh, in, ter- in all different aspects of, 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 of ski racing performance. And so it's not a, simply a part of what they do and what they think about. And a lot of them intuitively do certain things um, mentally that, that can be very helpful. But um, but another big issue is just time. Ski coaches are incredibly stressed for time, mm. and they have so many things they need to do. So so the, the the things that aren't on their immediate radar screen, like setting courses, like booking travel and um, and uh, planning training, it's going to fall off. Yeah. And so, you know, I've seen so many coaches who are so interested in the mental side of ski racing, but they simply don't have the time to devote to it. And, and part of that is being educated about it mm. um, because there are all kinds of clinics they take and certification for, for on-snow training and to some degree conditioning, but there's not a lot on the mental side. You know, certainly U.S. ski team, the coach's certification has a very limited component of the mental side in their, in their certification and education programs.
0: Yeah. Yeah okay, but within let's let's just before we kind of swap out of out of, sort of talking about World Cup and various stuff like that. Let's say you've had I mean over the last few years we've had a few incredibly dominant personalities. You you on the girls' side or on the women's side you've got uh, you've got Michaela Schifrin. on the men's side you've had Marcel Hershey for the last God knows how long, and those guys to me just look like they're sort of. Uh, and, and and I'd like your opinion as a, as a kind of outsider looking in. What, they just look like they're sort of incredibly mentally strong people who are able to focus all of their energies into one moment at the right time. Do, do you yeah. think that's something that's been coached into them or do you think that that's something that maybe some people just have innately within
1: them? Well, it's a combination. There's no doubt that some people are just born with certain psychological capabilities, just like athletic ability, mm-hmm. and you, you know, you might argue that Marcel and and Michaela are genetic freaks. Mm-hmm. Although what's interesting is um, Michaela went to Berkman Academy as I did, mm-hmm. and her coach there, um, Kirk Dwyer, who's 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 basically credited with a lot of her success, mm-hmm. um, said she was a, she was a very good athlete at Berk, but she wasn't the best female athlete at Berk, mm-hmm. and and she's not. She, if you look at her, she's not an imposing physical being. You know, she's not super big, for example, or super mm-hmm. tall. Um, but, uh, but it, 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 yes, it's coach, but it's also just through experience. Um, some athletes, just through experience, learn how to deal with the mental side of ski racing better than others. Mm. Um, but also what's interesting, and, and I can I can speak to the fact that I've worked with, you know, many, many, many world-class and professional athletes in many sports as well as ski racing, is that they're also human. Yeah, and so at the at the um, last Olympics, both Marcel and um, Michaela were were basically guaranteed of winning the gold medal in this hall, mm. and they didn't. Yeah. So so what what that speaks to is even that the even the best in the world struggle mentally. Mm-hmm. And and that and that they're human. I mean, I make a joke about how Michaela puts her speed suit on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah. so 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 yes, they have remarkable psychological capabilities. Yeah. But they also are human, and they they can succumb to the pressures and the expectations placed on them. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I hear that. Okay. When, all right. So so then. Switching over to, we, we talked a little bit about how that manifests itself recreationally. So the clients that you deal with, do you, do, do you only deal with athletes or do you have kind of recreational skiers that, that talk to you about things that, that, that they might want to achieve or maybe ski instructors, that kind of stuff too?
1: Yeah, um, mostly it's elite athletes, but I have over the years worked with, um, with ski instructors, with, um, with just skiers who want to improve. And I've worked with a number of the top um, ski um, uh, ski schools around the U.S. Vale, Aspen, Steamboat, Killington, um, many others, and and really, th- there's not a lot of difference between a recreational skier trying to get down a new run and a World Cupper trying to ski as fast as they can down a GS court. Mm-hmm. There are the the. There are differences in obviously athletic ability mm-hmm. um, in terms of conditioning and equipment and preparation, but they face many of the same challenges psychologically, mm-hmm. um, just at sort of di- just at different levels. But if you think about it, um, you've got a, a you know a forty-two-year-old woman who wants to ski down a particular run or ski powder. Mm. The same psychological issues and challenges apply there as Marcel and Michaela. Um, getting ready to to um, run a race, a World Cup race course.
0: Mm.
1: And for me, the, the key ones, and I've, I've touched on them already, is, is confidence. You have to believe you can do it. Mm. Um, if, physical intensity, if somebody's really anxious and tight and they're holding their breath, mm. their body simply can't perform very well. Again, whether it's an intermediate run, somebody's trying to get down, or a World Cup course. Yeah. Um, focus, focus is another huge issue. The ability to focus on what will help you get down the hill mm. again, walk up course, intermediate blue run, same thing as well as, uh, emotions mm. and whether, whether it's fear or frustration or disappointment in having not done it last run. Again, the perils are the same. The difference is the level of athletic ability and, and training, and so on, that separates you know a middle-aged uh, skier from a world Cup.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. I've I've noticed, and this is probably quite obvious, but I imagine that that it there there is a base or there is a an explanation somewhere within psychology that is that explains all of this in, and you can probably explain it better than I can. But I've noticed the ones that that, that have. The biggest issues with confidence are often, um, you know, it's a bit of a stereotype, but it's often the kind of middle aged lady with 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 children or that kind of thing. And I've noticed from my own experience, you know, as as I got older and had more responsibility, you, you generally become more fearful about things. That presumably has its basis in psychology somewhere,
1: without a doubt. And and I think that. The well, first of all, it is a little bit stereotypical, Dave. <laughs> um, so, um, so I'll tease you about that a little bit. Yeah. But, um, but you know, whoever it is, um, certainly things like lack of confidence, fear, um, worry about consequences. I mean, let's be realistic. Um, ski race, skiing is a sport where there are risks. Mm. And unlike, unlike golf, I mean, golf is the most psychological of sports, as I said, but the ball's just sitting there. It's not moving. It's not going to hit you in the head. It's not going to hurt you. Yeah. So the, conseq- the consequence of failure is you don't get a very good score. Yeah. In skiing, the consequences of failure are injury and on very rare, rare, rare occasions, death. Mm. And so that that is a whole new psychological dimension to it. And and it's easy when you're an 18-year-old kid with, with, with no responsibilities to just huck yourself off of a, of a cliff. Mm. Um, but, but for uh, somebody who has a family and, and getting hurt could be a serious problem, um, that's, there, there are greater consequences there. And so, so th- whether stereotypical or not, those kind of skiers are the ones who often struggle with being able to... Th- they have this conflict between they want to play it safe and they, they want to just get down. And with wanting to get better and challenge themselves and that, that's one of the most wonderful aspects of skiing Dave is, is the ability to challenge and try new things and overcome all the different variables that are present in skiing mm. and, and that's why one of the mo- Dave, one of the most wonderful things about skiing is that there's no clear criterion of success so for example in tennis the ball has to go land in the court between the lines Yes, in golf The ball, the ball needs to go in the cup, Hmm. but in skiing, you get to the bottom in one piece, that's a victory and it doesn't matter if it's pretty, it doesn't matter if it was easy, but you get to the bottom. It's like, let's, let's step on that metaphorical, um, top step of, of the Olympic podium and hear the music, the Olympic music playing, because that's their victory and and that's so much why people ski.
0: Yes, but, but, but but for different
1: desire for, go ahead.
0: Sorry, uh, so yeah, so but for different people, it's different things, right? So so for some people, getting down to the bottom of the run, fair enough. Okay, that's that's a big a big deal for them. But if you're, let's say you're the next, you know, couple of levels up, and you're a ski instructor, and you want to get down with a certain, you know, criteria that you've got in your head that, that you want to have met, you know, if you don't meet that, you failed, right? It's different for everyone. I guess that is the beauty of skiing, that it's it it is different for everybody.
1: Right, and there can be different definitions of success, and all of them are legitimate for the level of the person who is trying to execute yeah. whatever they're trying to do.
0: Yeah, 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 you're right. But, that, no, I like, I like what you, you said there, because I, I've been to- toying with this idea of responsibility being the thing, but it's not the responsibility, is it? It's the consequences of it going wrong, which is what is affecting people. Let's say, let's say you're, a, you're a, you know, a, a nervous skier and you're standing at the top of something, What what's not going through your mind is is your responsibilities. It's the consequences of, of those things going wrong.
1: Right, Dave, you, unfortunately you cut out there for about 10
0: seconds. No, that's all right. All right I'll, I'll cover that again. So what, 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 what I found the most inter- interesting thing about what you just said there was that it's not so much the responsibilities that are the issue. If if you are if you are a sort of nervous skier and you're standing at the top of a run or something like that, it's not the responsibilities that weigh heavy on your mind. It's the consequences of something going wrong that is actually the issue.
1: Right, exactly. And so, and the consequences could be serious injury. It could be embarrassment mm-hmm. because let's be let's be realistic. Most people want to become good skiers and to look good and for people to think mm-hmm. that they're good. Yeah. And I actually think that's sort of unfortunate because I think it detracts from the, from the beauty of our sport that as long as you get down the hill the way you want and you have fun doing it, that should be a victory alone. But, mm. but let's be realistic in our, in, our, in our culture. How people look matters, whether <laughs> it's what they wear or how they ski. And, and in, in fact, skiing can be quite competitive. Recreational skiing can be quite, quote unquote, competitive because, you know, you get a group of people together and you get their egos going and they want to be the one who gets down the fastest mm. or looks the best. Yeah. And, 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 and we also live in a culture of comparison. Yeah. And so we want to be better than the people we're skiing with or we want them to think we're really good. And that can be motivating, but it also can be a deterrent and can be psychological, psychologically um, difficult because it prevents you then, it, it takes the focus away from skiing the best you can. And the best you can might not be great skiing, but it's all you've got. Yeah. And and so it's, it's really a matter of, of just focusing on this is where I'm at and then looking for ways to improve over time and not worrying what other people think because ultimately nobody really cares that much because everybody's out there skiing and having a good time and worrying about how they look.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. That I knew that this this interview would would uncover certain certain difficult truths about myself. But I am entirely interested about how good I look when I come down the mountain. For me, for me, for me, skiing is all about the aesthetic. So I really like to make nice turns, and for me, that the the nice turns also combines with kind of having a nice physical aesthetic to it as well. And so for me, that's that's kind of what it's all about. Um, as opposed to kind of any particular sort of performance, um, uh, what would you call it, performance kind of indicators, you know, uh, did he get the pressure in the right place, blah, blah, blah. Don't care about that. For me, as long as it looks kind of aesthetically pleasing, that's what I'm interested in the most. I don't know what that says about me, though.
1: Well, no, it's, it's, it's very common. You're a professional ski instructor, and so, of course, you want to look really good. And, you know, I'm a, re- I'm a long-retired skier, and I still want to make sure I look good. Mm. And the fact is, you know, I'm, I haven't seen you ski, but I'm I'm going to assume that you're a phenomenal skier. And 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 you might take a run and come down and go. I just didn't feel very good. I don't think I skied well. Well, from the outside, you look the same way you always do. Yeah. Well, which, that that, which, which that cool, is which I, yeah. Which
0: that is true. I used to do this for my friend, uh, my friend Ben. Hi, Ben. If you could, if you're, if you're around, but Ben started the ski school with me. Uh, he's since gone back to the UK, but which is a great loss for all of us. But uh, the he always used to say the same thing. So every now and then, I'd send him a video of me skiing. He's like, "Yeah, what do you think of this? You know, I've changed this, that, and the other." And he would always reply back the same thing. He would say, "It just looks the same." And it's like, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it was right. his way of teasing me, you know, like uh, teasing my my kind of vanity, I guess.
1: Yeah, but, but again, this is what you do for a living, and you want to demonstrate your competence. Yeah. And, and I as, as for me, I mean, I was a fairly accomplished ski racer, and I want to continue as I get older to demonstrate my competence. And, and I think one of the great challenges for both of us is that skiing back 20, 30 years ago um, was different than it is now. And so I see, I see a number of people from my days of racing, phenomenal skiers, but so old school. And and it, it looks it it looks funny now you know with the knee tucked in and the, sh- the significant countering and and because of my work and the fact that I'm on on the hill with with ski racers it's always been very important for me to have credibility I want them to look at me and go boy he's a really good skier so mm-hmm. I've devoted immense amounts of time over the last I guess decade or more as skiing has evolved with with the with the new skis to to ski new and. And so, you know, there's always, there's, the, there's always that evolution and challenge. And I mean, every time I go skiing, I'm working on my skiing, even though, you know, I, I, it's probably not going to change in any substantial way. And hopefully it's just, you know, good enough that the racers I work with will go look, at, go, look at me and go, oh, Dr. Jim, you're, you're a heck of a skier. Yeah. Um, and and that, that's partially credibility, partially it's my ego. I mean, I want people to perceive me as a, as a very good skier, um, especially with, with the athletes and the coaches that I work with.
0: What we uh, it, while we while we're on this kind of I wasn't expecting to go off on a technical tangent, but but you know you, it sounds like to me you know you were racing a reasonable amount of time ago. I don't want to date you too much, but the <laughs> what <laughs> when you're adapting to kind of the new skis or when you went through that period, what, what are the the, sort of the biggest the biggest things that you had to do slightly differently apart from kind of up unweighting of of, of you know the skis to get them to turn. Sure, sure. Um,
1: wider stance. Um, initiating the turn with the inside ski, mm-hmm. um, skiing skiing a little more square, um, skiing with a little higher hips, and um, and the expression of, of stacking. So everything is built on everything else and sort of a very much aligned. Mm-hmm. And and so um, so you know if you look at you know even fifteen twenty years ago compared to the skiers now, th- there's a significant difference, and a lot of it is a function of the skis. Boots haven't changed much over the years. Um, but but you know now they're for example it used to be all about weighting the downhill ski and yeah. now it's much more even distribution so so there are some very clear differences that aesthetically you see it for sure and also in terms of the ability to perform on the new skis also very significant and dramatic okay that's so
0: okay that's I'm 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 pleased that we went off on the tangent that was really really good so the the. If if we then move over to the 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 teachers themselves, and this is something that I think would be, would be quite useful probably to a lot lot of people that are listening to this. In, I kind of want to ask you what are the things that they could apply when they're out on the mountain as you know, sort of basic psychological techniques. But I suppose that's too wide, isn't it, in terms of a in terms of a topic.
1: Yeah. No, not necessarily at all. No, because in my work with ski schools over the years, um, it's, it's not so different from from working with coaches working with ski racers. Again, a different level, but the same psychological issues. Hmm. And so for me, the most common strategies that I find really helpful that instructors can put into use are um, positive self-talk. Because okay. that affects confidence, and you, it's common for a skier to be at the top of the run to go, "I can't do this." Mm. Well, there's an old saying. There's an old saying that if you don't think you can do something, you're right. Yeah. So positive self-talk. Um, second is breathing. Now, breathing is is one of those things that we don't think about much because you don't need to think about it much; it just happens automatically. Mm-hmm. Yet, whether it's a World Cupper or a first-time skier, and they're nervous and they're having doubts, they're going to hold their breath. Yeah, and and I actually actually do this drill with 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 ski instructors. I, I did a, a PSIA event um, in the fall in Colorado um, with the uh, with their demo teams, and I had them sk- hold their breath while they're skiing. And, <laughs> okay. and it, it, it's very it's a it's very powerful feedback, Dave, because it shows what happens: is body tightens up, yeah. balance goes back, um, inability to focus effectively, and and lack lack of sort of agility and, and suppleness. Yeah. And so the simple act of getting people to consciously breathe does a couple things. First of all, um, it it brings their focus in on themselves instead of the stuff going on around them.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Second, it gets oxygen into their system, into their bodies, which is necessary for basic functioning. Um, It also makes people feel more in control. Because when people are afraid, their body is basically rebelling. It's saying, no, I'm not going there. And so the one thing that, that people... That skiers can can control physiologically is their breathing. Okay. So so breathing has tremendous physiological and psychological and emotional effects. So breathing is really important. Yeah. Um, another thing is the ability to focus. And and so instructors can sometimes be quite verbose, and they'll have this two or three sentence long description of how they want their 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 clients to to do something technically, but there's no way. Somebody can go down the hill thinking about those three or four sentences. Mm. So, what I recommend is having a keyword, um, and where you break the instruction down to one simple word. Like if the hands, if if somebody's dropping their hands, their keyword might be up, or forward, or Mm -hmm. drive, like a steering wheel.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Or if they're trying to get some countering going on, to say say pinch. So they, so as they create separation with their upper and lower body, they feel that pinch at their waist. Yeah. Um, so, so identifying a very specific keyword and then having them having this, the, repeat the keyword as they're going down the hill. Yeah. Because focusing and skiing is incredibly difficult because you can be ready to take a run and you're totally focused on keeping your hands up, for example. Yeah. And all, but then you push off. All of a sudden, there are a lot more important things to think about, such as survival. <laughs> yeah. and, and, as, and as soon as somebody stops focusing on that thing that they're improving, they go back to their old habits, which not only means they're not improving, but it's making it harder to improve because the more times they repeat a bad habit, the more deeply ingrained it becomes in their motor cortex, which makes it yeah. harder to change. Yeah, yeah. So an essential goal for a ski instructor is to ensure that that, that, that client has that focus what they're working on every turn every run yes yeah okay um, and then uh, a final one is mental imagery or a lot of people call it visualization yeah getting people to close their eyes and see themselves doing it before they actually do it mm-hmm. and there's, there's an incredible is a vast amount of research that shows that when you do imagery it's not just picturing stuff in your head it actually triggers your motor cortex so it actually, it, so so the mind and the body are fooled into thinking you're actually doing it before you actually do it. Mm. Mm. And and you see it with world cuppers in the start area. You see it with figure skaters. You see it in almost every sport. The athletes closing their eyes before they perform, seeing and feeling themselves execute the performance that they're looking for.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad you came onto the topic of imagery, because. Well, I wanted to share something with you, and, and I guess all of the listeners as well. But this is this was something that I was doing before some of the tests that I had to do, um, and it was a sort of generalized imagery, but it was a, it was a sort of belief kind of thing. And I've read up a lot over the years on, on this this particular um, this particular you know idea of visualization and how it can help you uh, in certain situations. So, so so my one was was it was I, I needed to believe. That I could get to where I wanted to go in terms of my professional ambitions. Where I wanted to go. And so what I did was I kind of imagined I uh, imagined like a a sort of an apartment or a corridor or a series of, of rooms, that kind of thing. So I'd walk into this this door and I'd do this imagery like almost every night before leading up to this, this kind of big event that I had. Um, and I would, I would sort of imagine that there was this door, and on the door it had kind of Dave skiing written on it. And I would go past, and then I'd walk down this corridor, and on every corridor there was a sort of open door of all these exams, and each on each door there was a written, you know, what it was that I'd passed, and it was open, and all of these doors were open are the ones that I'd passed. The ones that were closed were the ones that I'd failed. And then at the end, there was this sort of, um, there was this sort of room where the door was ever so slightly ajar. And I could sort of, as I went through this imagery over the months and months and months and months, I kind of imagined eventually going into this magical room. And on the room it had kind of written "Brevet Federal Swiss or whatever, you know, the, the qualification that I wanted. And over, as, as weeks and weeks gone on and I got closer and closer to these exams, it was a question of me kind of stepping over the threshold and into this room it was really really funny and eventually I got to the point where I could go into this room and look around and look at it and see it you know even stay in it for a while and actually when it came down to that kind of final moment of that exam where I was standing at the top of this bump run which was kind of my nemesis this thing that I could could I never imagined that I could do I was able to close my eyes and go back to that place and imagine stepping over the threshold and into that room, as soon as I opened my eyes, I then went. I went down this bumper and I nailed it. I nailed it that time. And I, for me, that that in a nutshell was the power of the kind of, the power of being able to visualize something and work on it over a number of months in your own mind. Now mine was quite abstract, but it was enough for me but you could also do that within actually the context of the thing that you wanted to do as well. Right. You know, that is, that, that's also possible.
1: Oh, absolutely. And in, in, working with ski schools and PSIA here in the U.S., it's, I'm amazed at, actually I'm not amazed, but at the amount of fear that ski instructors experience when they're taking certification exams. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and so many of them, they've already failed before they even get on snow
0: yeah
1: they they don't believe it and and your 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 strategy really was about providing the opportunity to see doors opening rather than closing yeah and and obviously had a very big impact on your ability to believe that you could do what you needed to do Mm. because the fact the fact is that that you know ski instructors most of them the vast majority are totally capable of passing their their certification exams yeah. Or here in the U.S., d- d- make, uh, qualifying f- for demo the demo teams that they want to... Uh... Mm-hmm. But so often, the, the the skiers, the instructors, just see this as as basically like life or death. Yeah. And when I talk about life or death, I don't, I don't mean physical life or death, I mean sort of ego life or death. Their yeah. self-identity, their self-esteem, their goals and aspirations, and... Anytime you 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 think a performance is life or death, you're doomed.
0: Yeah,
1: Be, because it puts you into survival mode, fight or flight. You, you go caveman, and yeah. caveman cavemen weren't very good skiers <laughs> back in back two hundred fifty thousand years ago, and and so you get that fight or flight response, mm. and that doesn't serve you well. And so a lot of the a lot of the time, a lot of the work I do with ski instructors at PSIA is helping them to prepare for these performances, because it's no different than an Olympic slong, for example.
0: In their minds, for sure, yeah.
1: In their minds, exactly. This is their Olympics. Yeah. Right. And so, providing them with the tools, and and some of of it is the practical stuff, like I mentioned, for example, um, imagery and breathing and keywords, Mm. but also approaching it with the right attitude. So, having a process focus instead of an outcome focus. Yeah. So it's totally focused on what do I need to do to perform today in the exam to get the outcome I want. Mm. Um, being aware of being aware of expectations. Oh my gosh, I have to make the demo team this year. Well, I have to, really. Well, you know, I you I need to. Wait a minute, you need to. Well, you need to eat. You need water. <laughs> yeah. But if you if you don't make the demo team, you know you'll be disappointed, but you'll survive. Hmm. And and so a lot of it is not just practical mental tools, but, but approaching these performances with the right attitude. Yeah. Because I've seen so many ski instructors and so many ski racers and so many athletes in other sports where they've already lost before they even get to the finish, before they've even begun Mm. because they don't have the right attitude, the right approach to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and it it from, like I say I'm I'm only really relating my own experience and I and I've written about it too there's a blog somewhere out there exactly you know what my what my my kind of method was but that's not the only time I've used that kind of thing and I think it is it's it is incredibly powerful you know what you can imagine is is you know within certain uh, boundaries is 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 possible you know and you can you can go yes. into A performance, and you can look at it in your mind from multiple angles. You can imagine it. You can fill it with detail. You fill it with colour, sound, you know, whatever it is that works for you. And you can make it so sort of hyper real that you, like, say, it takes the anxiety out of it when you're when you're having to do something because oh no, it's okay. I've been here before. Seen it before. Now, hello. You still there?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yes,
0: yes. Yeah, and and so for me that that I just I I think it's an incredible, incredibly powerful thing, especially you know, especially you know, the, the audience of this this podcast, you know, is 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 will generally be ski instructors, and, and those guys will have certain, you know, performance anxiety issues with regards to exams because they are quite important, you know, in 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 I suppose in the in the grand scheme of things certainly for those guys life you know you go up a level you get a pay rise you know get more work you get more respect yeah. that kind of thing it's it is important and anything that we can kind of do or give to those people to to to, to make you know uh, make that that journey easier is going to be a uh, it's going to be a good one
1: without a doubt and and there are some again as i've talked about some very simple mental tools that they can use and then also some basic approaches how they're approaching their attitude toward Exams and so on can can make a massive difference. Mm. Um, and what's most important is to be able to have them be able to step back and gain perspective. Because yeah. that I find again, whether it's world cuppers or ski instructors or skiers trying to get down the hill, it's it's the perspective they have. Mm. You know, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for me to see what I'm to show people what I'm capable of. Versus, oh my gosh, what if I mess up? Yeah. And so, so that right there can so distinguish those who perform the best and often end up getting the outcome they want from those who perform poorly and they have no chance of getting the outcome they want.
0: Mm, mm. One of the things that I found quite interesting when I was looking into this kind of thing was was this sort of concept of letting go of the outcome of what it is, the thing that that, that you want. Um, I can't remember exactly what the phrase is. It's it's kind of uh, outcome independence. I think it is. And, you know, because sure. if you really think about it, it's not really your decision whether you're good enough or not. In 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 so many ways, you know, you can apply it to anything. Actually, you can you can apply it here in a bar. You know, approaching girls or whatever, or or you can you know you're what <laughs> you know you, you can approach it to anything. It's not your decision in the end of the day. You know, you go in there, you do your best,
1: best. right?
0: but at the end of the day, you know, it's it's the examiner's decision. It's not your decision.
1: Right. I mean, ultimately, all you can do is take your shot, and you want to make it the best shot you can. Yeah. But here's an interesting perspective, Dave. Letting go is incredibly difficult Mm. for something that you care deeply about. Oh, for sure. And so, you know, you almost have to be a Zen master to do it. (laughs) So what I do, instead of trying to let it go, I, I... what i talk about is just accept it so i really want to make the demo team or i really want to get this level 400 certification or whatever it might be yeah so instead of trying to push against it no 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 just let it go just let it go often the time the more you push against something the more it pushes back mm. and so so instead of letting go just accept that this is something i really want i really want to make demo team but then make the shift from outcome focus, outcome goal to process. So great. I really want that. Now, I, and you can't see me, but I'm shifting my gaze to, away from from the uh, from the outcome mm-hmm. onto the process. So yes. I really want that outcome. Yes. Here's what I need to do to get it. Yes. I need to have fun with it. I need to be relaxed. I need to be positive. Um, I need to be well prepared. Yeah. And so, so it's accepting the outcome because it's there. It's like the pink elephant in the room. It's not going anywhere, mm. and then But then turning away from it and saying, "This is how I'm going to get that outcome." Yeah, and I'm to- totally going to focus on what I need to do to ski my best to get the outcome.
0: Well, that that so that is that has been, and I guess always will be the way that I kind of tend to prepare for anything. Is that if there is something that I really really want, my way of doing it is is to is is to go through that kind of deep level preparation so you know i don't know the, the phrase that, that a good friend of mine rich always used to say is, um you know hi rich if you're there would be train train hard fight easy right so that so he would say right. go into the details work out exactly what it is what's involved in this thing that you've got to do what do the levels look like where you know where can i find information about this then you know how can i find out how I match up to the level, you know what what, you know what do I need to do to get there so that I can turn up prepared and I'm hundred percent, hundred and ten percent level of the level, you know that's that that would right. be my way of going about it. Yeah, you're right. You accept yep. the level, but you can then then right. Okay, so how can I break this down into steps that I can manage that, that that are doable.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: So I know you're tight on time uh, Jim and I know we started late and we've had some technical issues and stuff like that but we've we've already got some amazing stuff here. So if if people need to find you I always always let people know that you know the, the, where they can find um, the, the guests on this podcast. So where where can people find you if they need you? Uh, you've got some amazing yes. stuff um, online.
1: I've got a, I've got a website it's drjimtaylor.com drjimtaylor.com and I've got tons of written material um free that people can access for related to skiing ski racing and many other aspects of performance and people are welcome to drop me an email if they have questions or comments as well
0: okay brilliant well i'll i'll, I'll drop a i'll drop a link to that in uh, in in the podcast notes um but i just want to say thank you so much for for taking the time
1: to join me uh, this evening that's really really cool of you great pleasure dave um always fun to talk shop with people who love the sport as much as i do so i'm always glad to uh to contribute
0: in the future. All right. Well, hopefully we can get you back for a, for a part to another point in the future. Thank you very much.
1: Very good day. Take care.
0: All right, man. See ya.